Fishers of Men Lutheran Church in Port Isabel, Texas, Sunday, September 11th, 2022. The message is how God helps us through change. pray with me. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call upon you to help us in times of turmoil and change. And we pray that you would help us in times even of change of our own choosing and our own making to do that in a God-pleasing way. Guide us with your spirit and through your word this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4 this morning from uh, Paul's letter there to the church, and it's really a general letter, much more general than specifically to Ephesians. It's a powerful, powerful message. And we'll be looking at this passage from Ephesians 4 in, in detail a little bit. But I want to just begin by talking about change and the way in which people deal with change. Because there, maybe you even know someone who is like, um, they are all in on whatever change there is. I mean, before the iPhone 14 came out, they already had it ordered, Right. They're the ones who have the, the latest technology. They're the ones that are always say, I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to move to a new place. I'm going to try a new restaurant, whatever it might be. And they're always, always, always on the move. They're always changing. And then you might also know somebody who says change. That's a dirty word. You know, I'm not going to change. I'm like, like the way things are. I like myself. I like my church. I like my, you know, whatever it is that they're just they're like, they're never, never changers, if you will. The reality is that in the church, you have those kinds of people as well. And in fact, uh, in our teaching in Tanzania, we talked about this. We talked about the ways in which people deal with change. And especially, I think it's appropriate, not just in terms of dealing with like catastrophic changes that we had uh, 22, 21 years ago with the 9-11 attacks, but also the realities of change that come into our lives whether it's the loss of a spouse or an illness of a loved one, or in this case, very specifically, the process of, that you're in in calling a new pastor. And uh, really something, uh, quite a different change for you as a congregation, uh, having enjoyed being here last September and this September. And uh, you know, I would look forward to being here again next September, but I anticipate that God will have brought you a resident pastor by that time. And that'll be a change for you. And some of you, I think, are probably very excited about that, and some of you are not so sure about it. But this is the truth. All of us within the body of Christ and in the world itself uh, react to change differently. And there are, first of all, people who are what we call innovators. The people who are absolutely on the front edge of every possible change. They're the ones that are coming up with the new ideas. They're the ones that are creating the... Do, do you all, does anybody here remember when the iPhone came out? very first iPhone came out. I remember seeing a commercial on TV about this phone, and this guy is listening to his iPhone, uh, like an iPod, right? Remember those days, long, long ago, right? And all of a sudden, a phone call comes in, and he just answers it. And it's like, there's no way a phone can do that. That was my response, right? But there were people, and are people, who do, in fact, have that sense of innovation. They come up with new ideas. They are on the leading edge. Uh, however, as you may know, sometimes the leading edge is also the bleeding edge. And, uh, you know, we need to be aware of that as well. But there are people who are that way. And they come up with an idea, and then there's the people who are 
ready to adopt. They're saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'll go with that. Yes, that's a good idea. And so they're, they're, called the, uh, they're called the early adopters. They're the ones that are first on board. They're the ones that are saying, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, and then comes, after that group of people, then comes what we call the early majority. So after you've got the innovation and then you've got people coming along and saying, this is a great idea, um, you know, whether it's a new hymnal or whether it's a new order of worship or whatever it might be that, you know, somebody comes up with the idea and a few people right away say, yeah, that's a good idea. And then not everybody's convinced. And then after a while, some people say, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And they can be the majority. They're the early majority. And churches function on the basis of people who are willing to be a part of that early majority. Decisions are made. But there's also then after that decision is made, then there's the, the late majority. And, and they take some time. And in fact, they may take a lot of time to kind of deal with the ideas and the changes that are coming. And so if there are people here, then maybe you're one of them that are just not so sure about the future and the way things are going. It's okay. Um, we love you, you love them, and, and it's a part of being a part of the body of Christ that there are these different kinds of people. And some people are just not quite sure. They're not quite sure they want to do that. They eventually may come around and will come around. That's the late majority. They say, well, this was a good idea after all. This is a good idea. This is something we, we should have done, and it's a good thing to have done. I, I can give you a very specific example of that at St. John in Cyprus where I served. When we first talked about uh, building a new worship center and there were people who right away, I mean, they were just like, this is the thing we need to do and this is how it needs to be done and this is the way it's going to happen and so forth. And there were a group of people right away on board with the innovation of a new space for us to gather for worship. And actually, it was pretty quickly uh, realized because we were really maxed out. I mean, honestly, God had brought a lot of people there and we were filling up the church three times on a Sunday morning. And so it was clear that there was a need for us to, to make a bigger space for people to gather for worship. But not everybody was ready immediately for that idea. It only came a little bit later that people were able to say, OK, yeah, we'll be on board with this. And then after a while, pretty much everybody came on board. I said pretty much because in every situation, in every church, there are also the resistors. It's, it's true. There's people who just resist. They don't want to go along with this. They're not sure it's really needed. And in fact, they may be so strongly opposed to the idea that they'll believe in their heart of hearts that 90% of the people or 95% of the people or 99% of the people are wrong. And they'll stand there and they'll make life miserable. They'll try to because they're just really convinced that everybody else is wrong. And guess what? They're part of the church too. And so if you know somebody that you would put in that category, love them because they are part of the body of Christ. They need the love of Christ. So how do we deal with that? Well, if somebody is resistant or becomes resistant, you, you talk with them and, and you just try to, let's have a conversation about this. This is a path that we've chosen to go. How can we get to a better place? How can we get to a place of, of unity and connection? And, 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 and one example of that was years ago in another church that I had served, we made some changes. We wanted to make some changes. The change was real simple, at least in my mind it was. We wanted to invite people who were not confirmed uh, to come forward during the time of communion 
and fold their arms and receive a spoken blessing. And there were people in that church that resisted that. In fact, the majority of people resisted it. It never happened there. Years later, one of the couples, in fact, one of the, one of the people who were most adamant and outspoken against the idea, who in the parking lot after church one Sunday said, don't mess with my doctrine. And I'm going, this is not doctrine, this is practice. But this was the conversation. She was so adamant about that. They came and visited us in our new church that we were serving at the time. And we invited them to dinner because we were friendly with them and they with us. And she said, Pastor, I want to apologize to you. I was wrong. And it was just kind of a stunning moment. But the truth is, God does work in people's hearts. And sometimes even the people who are resisting the change can be brought around to a better understanding, a deeper understanding of how it is we deal with life as it comes. But there are those who never come around. And ultimately, you have to move forward without them. You have to be willing to say, okay, I know you don't want to do this, but this is what we've chosen to do. And if you don't want to be a part of this, we're sorry. We want you to come along, but if you will not come along, we pray that God will lead you in a place or to a place where you can truly follow him. Worse than a resistor, though, is somebody who becomes divisive. St. Paul even warns Timothy. He says, warn a divisive man once or twice. And then after that, have nothing to do with him. There are people who do want to throw bombs. They want to disrupt. They want to cause problems. And they are divisive people. They want to pit one group against another or one person against another. They stir things up. And that's something that is dishonorable to the body of Christ. It's not loving. It's not true. Because we can honestly disagree on many things and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can be honorable people who disagree. But if a person becomes divisive, you must confront them. And if they still disagree, then you have to tell them, you can't be here in that spirit, in that attitude. It's a hard word. We don't do it lightly. And you really only confront somebody once it's clear that they're just not, well, once it's clear they're divisive. And all the while you remember what it says in James chapter 1, verses 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish or produce the righteousness of God. So our spirit and our demeanor must always be in a spirit and demeanor of love. So how is it that God helps us do that? Well, in Ephesians 4, we have these words. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature and fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you have the list of people here. 
You have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. You got those groups of people. Guess what? If you think about it, really stop and think about it for a second. The apostles, the sent ones, they're the innovators. They're the ones on the front lines. Paul was an apostle. He was sent. He was out in front of everybody else. He was the one who first brought the gospel message in a meaningful, significant way to the Gentiles. We can all be thankful for Paul because you and I are part of the church today because of his groundbreaking work 2,000 years ago, but his groundbreaking work in bringing the gospel to Gentile people who said you do not have to become a Jew in order to be a follower of Jesus. There are innovators. They're called apostles. They call us forward. So you may have somebody here who really has that apostolic sense, the, the sending, the, the ones who send, have a sense of being sent and recognizing that the church needs to be sent as well. Maybe you know somebody that you would say, that's an apostle. That's a person. Now, I'm not talking about being an apostle like one of the 12, right? But it certainly is true that there are people today who are out in front in the work of the church, the ministry of the church, who are apostles. And they're the ones who are, in fact, I think, the innovators. And then, of course, you have the prophets. And the prophets have a, a unique function. We think usually a prophet is a person who tells the future. And that's certainly something that the Old Testament prophets would do. But even more than that, the Old Testament prophets would actually call people to repent their greatest work was to call Israel back to God and, and to announce to them the need for them to, to return to the Lord and to acknowledge their sins and to seek his help and to seek his face. Or warning them that if they didn't return or if they didn't uh, come to a better obedience before God, they would be scattered. And that's truly the work of the prophet. And so for that reason, it can be that the prophets are helpful to the innovators, reminding them, hey, wait a minute, don't go too far here. Or they can also be the ones who alert us to the fact that, hey, if we do not make these changes, if we do not go this path, then we're not being faithful to God because he calls us to make disciples of all nations. You have prophets who are willing to speak the word of God and challenge us. And sometimes the prophet's message is not a calming, soothing kind of thing. Sometimes it's a little bit challenging. Sometimes it's a little bit strident. Sometimes it's a little harsh. And sometimes we're not sure we really want to hear the voice of the prophets because they may be speaking to us and to our need in our hearts to change. But God gives them to us so that the mission of God can go forward. The innovators, the apostles, the, the early adopters, the, the prophets. And then you have the evangelists. They're the ones constantly announcing the good news of God's love. They're the ones who really bring the majority of people to understand God loves us and he loves all people and he wants all people to be saved. And the evangelists are the ones who are out there talking to the rest of the world and telling them about Jesus' love. But they're also reminding us of God's love for us because they can't help talking about the love of God, the mercy that he has, the forgiveness of sins, the grace of God, the kindness of God in sending his son into the world to save us. They're God's gifts to us. And if you have somebody here who you would recognize as an evangelist, as somebody who is willing to point us again and again to the good news of God's love, to his faithfulness, to his mercy, thank God for that person. Because in the way, they're kind of in the middle of this continuum, if you think about it. They're the ones maybe, in a sense, holding everything together. 
They're the ones speaking good news, and that's the center of who we are. We're centered in the love of God and Jesus Christ, the grace of God, giving us salvation and making us a part of his kingdom. And then you have, as Paul talks about here, what about those within the church? If the evangelists are really focused more on the outside, what about those in the church? And this is where the shepherds come in, the pastors. I just had to think, maybe you can call to your mind the picture of the firefighters carrying the, the priest out of the rubble of the 9-11 uh, attack. The first, one of the first victims that they brought out. The priest who had connected with that particular fire group, firefighter group, who had a very big impact on because I think he was their pastor. He was with them. In fact, he was with them in that place at that time. Pastors, shepherds. They're the ones that are willing to kind of calm us when we're like, we're not so sure we like the innovations. They're the ones that are with us in those moments where the prophets have spoken a word and we're broken. We're saying, I don't know if I can just even be a part of this. I'm so, I'm so convicted here. And the pastor's the one that reminds you of God's love. They're the ones that are going out and seeking and saving and bringing back into the fold the, the wandering sheep. They're the blessing. And a lot of times, churches the size of fishers of men, especially when you get to about 100, just love a pastor. Just love a pastor. And that's a good thing. But you need not only pastors, you need the apostles. You need the prophets. You need the evangelists. And thank God for the pastors who are willing to lead you and shepherd you. And then come the teachers. God bless the teachers. I think about what teachers do. You know, they, they are, they, they've got to be incredibly patient in order to be successful at their task, right? I mean, they take little kids who don't know anything and teach them. They bring them from zero to whatever it is that they get to because they're willing to just talk patiently and help them through and to understand what needs to be understood. And sometimes, sometimes we're like those little kids. We don't even know what we don't know. And worse yet, we're like stubborn children sometimes. We think we know it all and we don't need to learn anymore. And a teacher will patiently help us to understand and maybe even unlearn some things so we can learn better about God and his kingdom and his mission and his church. So God gives these gifts to the church. And I'm convinced that Paul is talking here to the church in Ephesus or the churches in Ephesus. He's talking in a general way. The fact that God gives these gifts, I think it's an ongoing thing. And maybe you don't hang the title apostle around your neck. Or maybe you're saying, I'm not necessarily a prophet. But you may have a an ability to speak the word in a clear way and call people to repentance. You may be a person who is out there on the leading edge, who is an innovation person. You may be a person who is filled with good news and constantly wanting to share it with others and also within the church. Or you may be a pastor. You may have a heart of somebody who cares about other people. And by the way, because I don't think we're talking here specifically about pastor like the one who stands up and leads in the worship service, but I think we're talking about people with that kind of gift 
Many, many times it's women who have that particular pastoral heart, the heart of kindness and compassion and understanding. They're the ones who reach out and make those connections that are so important. You have teachers, people who can help you learn, people who can help you grow. Remember here also why Paul says this is the case, why he does this. It's because he wants the church to be able to come together and to experience the fullness. What does it say here? He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. In other words, this isn't just let's change just to change. This is so that we can move forward in the mission of God. This is so that we can be united around that which is truly important. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's his desire. We grow up into Christ. We become more deeply connected to him. And because we're connected to him, we're connected to one another. And so it is. So that the church is united in God's mission, in God's love, God's mercy. At our best, and our very best, we may have innovators and resistors in our congregation. That's why this is important. But the truth is that God is always working to bring us together, uniting us in Christ, helping us to help one another deal with whatever changes may be coming our way. So as you think about your new pastor, whoever he will be, as you think about me serving you just for this month and pastor until next month and the others who will be here until your full-time resident pastor comes, I pray that you will sing this next hymn as your prayer and uh, expression of um, praise to God for those who serve in that way. May it be so for the glory of God and for our own good. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we declare together our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed? David Bond Reflections.